0: Let's talk about the bad day we had yesterday in the COVID-19 pandemic in British Columbia. The most COVID-19 cases in a day, 203, first time over 200. Multiple new outbreaks at long-term care facilities. We got an outbreak at a school in the BC interior. A warning from Dr. Henry yesterday about potential for COVID spread at weddings and funerals bad day all around uh we'll talk about the numbers here right now with my guest very pleased to welcome back to the show dr brian conway medical director and infectious diseases specialist at the vancouver infectious disease center dr conway it's great to have you on again thanks for doing this thanks for having me back when you heard those numbers yesterday over 200 cases and new outbreaks at long-term care and outbreak at at a school what went through your mind well the only solace i can take from these numbers is this is
1: the tail end of the transmissions that would have occurred during the long weekend. And we know that each long weekend we've had going back to May has led to an increase in the number of cases. It's too high a number, and hopefully we will have it within us to behave, to bring it down.
0: Right, okay, was, so yes, yeah, two days after the Thanksgiving long weekend, so this would have been, what, at the end of that incubation period for if anyone got sick over Thanksgiving, Correct.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly it. That's right. the one thing, that, that's the one positive that I can take from this, this stark reality that was shared with us yesterday.
0: Okay, let's have a little listen to Dr. Bonnie Henry. Here she is talking about the second wave of the virus. Have a listen.
1: One can say that we are in our second wave here of our COVID-19 storm in BC, but we have control over what that wave looks like. And we have shown that we can do that. There continues to be COVID-19 transmission in many parts of our province and we know that this is expected. This virus has not gone away and it has shown us that it is now quite able to hide and spread in our communities around the province.
0: Okay, Dr. Conway, we're in the second wave. Can you can you clarify what that means? What does that mean when we say we're in the second wave here of this virus?
1: Well, we're having an increase in the number of cases that uh, follows a significant and sustained decrease in the number of cases. Some had thought that the second wave would be associated with an increase in the virulence or transmissibility of the virus with some new mode of transmission or with a reintroduction of the virus from the outside in significant numbers. None of these things happened. So the increase in the number of cases is really relating to individuals that are not necessarily following all of the rules of public health to decrease viral transmission and this has led to what we are all now calling a second wave, an increase in the number of cases that's sustained now over days, if not weeks.
0: Right. Also, also troubling to hear yesterday about new outbreaks at five long-term care homes and assisted living facilities: White Rock, New West, Langley, uh, Maple Ridge, and Chilliwack. We know that seniors are the most vulnerable uh, to the, this virus. Does it surprise you to continue to see outbreaks in long-term care? Yeah, that really surprises me. We know how to prevent
1: transmission in these institutions. Within the institutions themselves, we have robust public health measures to reduce transmission inside or acquisition inside. So this likely relates to employees, people who are moving in and out, and when they are not in the institution, that are taking some chances compared to what they should be doing to prevent viral transmission and then bringing it in to the institution. And I think that, that distresses me. And we just need to understand how this happens and put in place measures to stop it. Because if these, these the residents get infected, they're the ones that are at risk, they're at risk of being hospitalized and, and dying from this infection. And we, we really need to not have that happen as it did in
0: the spring. Right. Speaking to Dr. Brian Conway, Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Let me play this for you, Dr. Conway. This is Caroline Colane, Canada 150 Research Chair on Mathematics. And she was on with Simi this morning. Talking about some of these numbers and whether we should be worried about this uh, increase here. Here she is.
2: Obviously, they're higher than we want. Um, two hundred is still within the error bounds in in the modeling. So you know the noises are. Sorry, the, the data is always going up and ju- up and down, and there's always a little bit of noise and jumpiness. And that's you know two hundred is not actually outside the range where we would say, oh wow, like our models were wrong. Something really weird is going on. But it is higher than, than we want it to be, for sure. And I hope it doesn't sustain, you know, into today, tomorrow, and, and into next week, obviously.
0: Okay. Higher than we would like to see over 200 for the first time, but perhaps within the, the realm of expectation for the spread of this virus. Is that, Would you agree there, Dr. Conway, that the numbers are higher than we think, but maybe we shouldn't be too, too uh, worried? Well, I think it does not represent uncontrolled
1: spread. I right. like to think of this in terms of seven-day averages that are in the 130 to 150 range and following that along. So by that metric, this isn't horribly high, but it's higher than we would like, and we we need to get beyond the two-week period that follows Thanksgiving. And at that point, if things are working as we hope they will, then the number should start going down. So I think if we're having the same conversation a week from now and the number is still 200, then that is outside any of the modeling that we would have done, and that would be of much greater concern.
0: Okay, Dr. Henry yesterday stressing the need to be careful, especially when it comes to indoor gatherings. And, and here's Caroline Colain here again speaking with Simi on the need to take care
2: I think there's, you know, there's a risk that with our slow exponential growth, we can just get complacent and not see it as exponential growth. But the signs are that this virus transmits in BC much like it does everywhere else at indoor gatherings, dining, eating, drinking, partying, inside, crowded, those kinds of environments.
0: Right. So she's making the point there about maybe people getting a little too complacent. And we heard Dr. Henry talk yesterday about gatherings like weddings, funerals, funerals, that even small gatherings, people might think, well, we're okay for a small gathering, but that's how the virus can spread. Your thoughts?
1: Well, the thing about weddings, generals, and birthday parties is partly the size of them, but also that they often bring together individuals that have not seen each other for several weeks or months. So this is combining very distant bubbles. So over and above the gathering itself, this is a particularly high-risk environment for transmission because these are people you're multiplying the bubbles way too much so if you're going to get together with people try to make it with people that you've been seeing on an ongoing basis and you can trust that their bubbles are fairly safe in terms of viral transmission don't bring in people from far away that you haven't seen perhaps since the beginning of the pandemic
0: okay we're entering getting closer into the winter months it's certainly really cold today and the cold weather is coming the winter weather is coming uh does that present Uh, another risk of COVID-19 spread with people spending more time indoors?
1: Yeah, it presents two challenges. One you've just mentioned is we tend to do more things indoors than we did during the summer. The other is there is influenza in the environment and that will make people sick. It's important that everyone get a vaccination and we have reason to believe that if you get influenza, you're more susceptible to getting COVID. So I think that uh, we need to be very careful over the winter months.
0: Okay, Dr. Brian Conway, Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Last question for you. So what what are your recommendations then? Get a flu shot. Would you say wear a mask when you're in a public place indoors? I think
1: try to live your life two metres away from people as much as possible. Wear a mask if this is not possible. And for sure, go out and get a flu shot. They're widely available throughout Vancouver.
0: Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Let's go be safe and be happy. All right. Welcome back to the show tonight is the night. It is the second and final debate showdown between U.S. President Donald Trump, his Democratic rival, Joe Biden. They will clash again tonight. Synchronize your watches. 6 p.m. our time in Tennessee tonight. 90 minute debate. In prime time, just 12 days to go before the election campaign or before Election Day in the United States. Now, the last debate between Trump and Biden was probably the most chaotic debate in modern history. It got pretty wild. It got pretty down and dirty this time around. Uh, They will be going with um, a microphone mute button. Could look a little different tonight. Let's check in with Reggie Cicchini now, Washington producer and correspondent for Global News in Washington. Hi, Reggie. Hey, good morning. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on can trump let's talk about trump first of all with this debate tonight if you believe the polls the national polls show him to be running behind biden here some people think that he's that he could lose this election what does trump got to do tonight i mean how crucial is this debate tonight for trump
3: well, the president needs to uh, expand beyond his base when he is giving his messaging tonight and not simply go on the information and talking points that he's been talking about for the last four years Uh and really uh kind of the last five years, if you include his last campaign. He needs to expand beyond that. He's running behind in demographics that are key to him, notably black Americans and notably suburban women. And if he wants to right. try and gain any kind of new support, the messaging needs to be geared towards them and not towards that base that has reliably been with him for the last four years.
0: Right. Right. Do you think that in the first debate, when Trump kind of adopted the all out attack approach, that almost seemed to be. Appealing to his base more than anything. The true believers would really maybe love it if he's going aggressively after Biden like that. But I was left wondering in the first debate, what is the strategy here? He should be looking to try and get the undecideds over to his side.
3: Yeah, it might have been counterproductive for him to try and draw in new supporters because look, there are key issues that are important to the American public right now. And first and foremost, uh, it is COVID 19. And secondly, uh, it is racial and social injustices in this country. And the president went on the attack on both to make it. It seemed like everything he had done has led to where the country is right now. The problem is the majority of Americans see the country in a bad place, but the president simply can't acknowledge that.
0: Okay. How about the mute button tonight? So the first debate was chaos, a lot of interruption, a lot of talking over each other. At times, it was difficult to understand what was being said because they were shouting over each other so much. This time around, the moderator will have a mute button. Reggie, how is that going to work, that mute button tonight?
3: That mute button is only going to exist for 12 minutes of the entire debate, and that's two minutes each at the top of each of the six segments. So you're still going to wind up with at least an hour of conversation between the two candidates where they will have an open mic and be able to uh, confront each other and likely interrupt each other. Now, we have heard from uh, sources in the White House that the president may try to dial it back a bit, possibly understanding that his first attempt at this debate didn't go as planned. What's more important here to note is that for the last five days... Joe Biden has been in debate prep sessions. President Trump has done no debate prep sessions. So it's unclear how he's going to react tonight, either to the mute button or to the simple barrage of questions and comments that are going to come from the moderator and Joe Biden.
0: Okay, how about the pandemic tonight? How does that factor into this debate? That seems to be a vulnerable spot for Trump. You got more than 220,000 Americans are are dead uh, from this virus, Uh, cases surge, case levels surging again. In the last few months, Trump has been going after his own infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the last few days. What does Trump got to do? He'll be on the defensive on, on the virus. How, how, how will he handle that? Tonight. Well
3: again and it's that defense of his of his response that has really kind of put the president up against a wall and really backed into a corner because he's been criticized from the very beginning A for downplaying it but B for letting this virus kind of consume the United States without doing anything at the top level to try and bring it in leaving things up to both state local and county governments to try and get a control on a virus uh, and then be able to kind of take that to a national level the president uh, will continue to say that he's done everything that he can and that everything. he's done is okay but he will face pushback likely from the moderator and from joe biden to say look 220,000 americans are dead eight million and counting are continuing to become infected and the numbers are surging across the mountain west and the midwest and because of that it's hard for the president to say that the country is rounding a corner this is going to be a key and huge topic tonight
0: okay how about joe biden and definitely the issues around his son Hunter Biden will come up. We saw this report from the, the New York Post newspaper about Hunter Biden's laptop, the emails on there alleging malfeasance by Hunter Biden. Was there any benefits flowing back to to uh, Joe Biden? This obviously will Trump will try to press this. He will raise it for sure. How is that going to go down tonight, do you think?
3: Well, it's first of all we have to point out that this story about the Joe about Hunter Biden's laptop was put forth by the New York Post. It has not been corroborated by any other uh, media outlets out there. The FBI originally said that they that they might not have thought that it was part of Russia disinformation, but there are now dozens upon dozens of former FBI officials that say, look, this does have hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Nobody else is picking up on this story, and the key players involved in this story are all aligned with either President Trump or President Trump's campaign. President himself is going to try to breathe oxygen into this story. Whereas Joe Biden has already come out to say, look, my family doesn't need to be brought into this conversation right now. None of them are running for president. None of them have any impact on my ability to, uh, you know, to, to be able to run the country outside of the fact that well. they stand behind and support. Uh, but this is simply going to be a message that goes to the president's base because there is still a large segment of the population that simply is not buying in to this story that really has no proof to back it up.
0: Well. What, I don't know. Isn't Biden breathing some life into it himself, though? Like, I haven't heard Biden or his campaign deny that this is really Hunter Biden's laptop. I haven't heard any denials that these emails are genuine. They haven't said it's fake. Well, why ha- did- why, like, why haven't they denied it? Like, if it's, if it's Russian disinformation, how come Joe Biden hasn't come out and clearly said this thing is fake? This is not yeah. my son's laptop. These are, emails are not real.
3: Well, look, it's part of an active investigation right now, but even if something isn't true, giving credence to it by talking about it puts it into the public spotlight and allows it to be absorbed by people who potentially are using it for nefarious reasons or uh, kind of pushing for the conspiracy. So even acknowledging that it doesn't exist brings it into the conversation. President Trump has already said that he's going to try to get this into the lineup tonight to talk about yeah. and press Joe Biden on. But at the end of the day, it might not do anything to help bring new supporters into President Trump's aura and. That is simply because the Hunter Biden laptop, as, as right wing and, and conspiratorial as it is right now, really has no bearing on the White House and the Oval Office.
0: Okay, well, well, I don't know. I think I think it goes to Biden's credibility. Um, so I, I'm just surprised that he hasn't done a firmer a firmer denial of it. But we'll we'll see how Trump does tonight. Obviously, he's going to try and press it. And we'll see how Biden handles it. Speaking of speaking of Biden, Reggie, could he potentially be? his own worst enemy uh, if he makes mistakes. I mean, this is a guy who's got a history of gaffes and, and mistakes. Um, Trump is always making fun of that all the time. He did pretty well in the first debate, Biden, but he does he does tend to put his foot in it sometimes.
3: Uh, He does. And that potentially is why he's been uh, going through the last several days of debate prep in order to make sure that he's kind of rock solid on his answering. Uh, But the majority of Americans, A, are already standing behind Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. And B, a lot of people will look at this and say, well, look, Joe Biden is not a perfect person. Neither is any other candidate who runs for president. And they may make gaffes. They may kind of put their foot in their mouth. But at the end of the day, they're not saying things to try and be malicious or they're not trying to do things that will, you know, attack or target uh, certain individuals across the united states you know president trump for what it's worth oftentimes will not acknowledge the fact that he's made any flaws whereas joe biden will acknowledge that he has said the wrong thing time and time again Uh, at the end of the day here this is simply one last push people know what they're going to get when they walk into this debate they know what the answers they're going to hear are and they're simply looking to see if either of the two men on stage are able to offer anything different or at least any kind of new uh new spin on something
0: reggie thanks for taking the time Thank you. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about crime and homelessness in Metro Vancouver now, especially in Maple Ridge. Local residents group, clean up Maple Ridge. They say they're fed up with the situation. They say the police and other authorities not helping. They decided to take action themselves. Have a listen to this here now. This is from a video that was posted online a short time ago an unwanted occupant of a local home. Uh, some members of Clean Up Maple Ridge went over there to help the owner of the house to evict uh, the person who was in the house. This was posted on Facebook. Have a listen. All of us are going to go in there. We're going to grab all your sh- We're going to put it in that box. and then You're you not going to put it in that box. Watch. Hey, guys. You- okay, I'm joined by Jamie Seep now. He's the organizer of Clean Up Maple Ridge. Jamie, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, I really appreciate it. First of all, let's talk about the, your group. What do you guys do? What is what is a, sort of the mandate of Clean Up Maple Ridge?
4: Well, it started off going around and cleaning up uh, green belts and waterways and uh, all sorts of areas that are in neighborhoods that have been occupied by What we deem undesirable, it's not just a homeless person minding their business, being a good neighbor. We're talking about uh, criminals in our backyards. uh, And when the sun goes down, they come out and uh, they have their their way and and there's no rules. Um, And so we cleaned up one area and then the next thing you know, we posted it online and everybody else had the same issue. So we came out to help.
0: Okay, when you say clean up, do you mean like... What do you mean clean up? What do you do you move people along? What do you what do you do?
4: We definitely well they like to be left alone. So as long as you take away that that uh that sanctity that they have of just being back there and lawless and having no rules and everything else um, we just hold them to a standard and we say, you know, come on, you need to clean up after yourself. Our kids use these areas, our seniors walk these walked these areas, they're kind of afraid to now. And parents aren't letting their kids back into these areas. Uh, the exact areas that my oldest kids grew up in are right. now deemed unsafe.
0: Right. So are we talking about drug users? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that the biggest problem? Like open, open drug use and needles around? Is that the biggest, the biggest issue? Well,
4: that's one of the problems for sure. But yeah. the thing is, is when people are leaving stuff at the end of the driveway with a free symbol and it's a green toilet with a pink lid and uh, they're thinking somebody really wants this, it gets drug into our bush and we have to clean it out. So it's, it's, a, it's a community problem, and it's not just the homeless doing it. It's everybody. It's a 15-year-old kid taking his Halloween candy, dumping it on the side of the road. We will call anybody out. I don't care if it's the premier himself. If you're not, if you're not living up to what you know your parents probably taught you to be, we will remind you that that's where you should be.
0: Okay. Let me ask you about the video that was posted on October 18th that's getting a lot of attention here in the last few days. So this is a video that shows, uh, I believe yourself and other members of your organization. You, you were there, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So this is yourself and other members of Clean Up Maple Ridge going to a local home where the, uh, the owner of the home had asked you for help. So what happened there? There was someone living in the house that they wouldn't leave. Yeah, well,
4: there was, a, there was a house guest. The lady basically friended a senior citizen man over the age of 80 uh, with a sad story that she had no place to stay. And, of course, he, he helped her out. Well, her story turned into it was five years that she had been there. However, legally, I evicted her from another location two years before uh, that, that I managed. And uh, so their stories, they, they tell the story enough that they start to believe what they're saying. And uh, the, the majority of uh, the people that were in that house were not invited. They were invited by the house guest. The gentleman who was trying to live his life out in this house then had to be moved out with the help of family and friends and put into a different home just to make sure he was safe.
0: Okay, so did the owners of the home want, want this resident out? Asked Absol- her to leave. Absolutely hundred percent. And she would and what happened? She would not leave? Well she figured that she was a common law and she wanted
4: half the house. That's the bottom oh. line. She okay. was entitled to half the house.
0: Okay. Um, so what happened? You guys went over there and rousted her out of there or what what did you do? Well no,
4: we made contact the night before. And I basically said, listen, we're going to show up tomorrow with 100 people, and there's going to be 70 cameras on you, and you're going to be Facebook famous, and you probably don't want that. So please, let's rectify this right now. There's a storage bin out front. You need to get in. So I guess six of her friends showed up that night. Uh, This is coming straight from one of her friends, and they came to help her move her stuff, but instead they decided to do dope and lost track of time. Eight o'clock came in the morning. I showed up, knocked on the door, and they hadn't moved a single thing. So we uh, we assisted her. And uh, that's that's pretty much the story. If, if you need to the whole story has to be watched. So you need to watch yeah. the, the video to really get a grasp on it. The little tidbits aren't going to give you the whole story.
0: So you convinced her to leave. Correct. Yeah. And she and she did leave. Yes. OK. Was there any violence involved at all? There has
4: never been any violence. So we've been called everything in the book as far as violent people, vigilantes, vigilantes. The thing is, is there's never, ever been any proof of this. There's never been a charge. There's never been a video. There's never been, everyone has a cell phone. Now, if there was a problem, we would be recorded. You know, you know how it works in this day and age where there is no privacy. If you, if you want to record me, feel free. We record everything too, because again, we're, we're blamed for everything. Anything that happens negative in this community, we're blamed for. So we make sure we cover our own butts by uh, videoing everything.
0: Okay, speaking of Jamie Seep, he's the organizer of Clean Up Maple Ridge. So would it be fair to say that the only kind of threat that you made against the occupant of this home was if she did not leave, you were going to post videos of her to social media? Is that what happened?
4: Well, yes, she's also a, a prostitute, and uh, there was people who had made uh, comments to her in our group that, you know, we will make sure that we sit outside of your residence, and any single John that comes by, will make them famous too, it's not very good for your business, um, they were flagging her posts on uh, the escort sites, um, basically speaking, we, we will just keep pressing until um, the right thing's done.
0: Okay, how did the the owner of the home, was the owner of the home grateful for the help?
4: Oh, she was extremely grateful, for sure.
0: All right. You mentioned that some people have called you vigilantes. What do you guys call yourselves? Like, good Samaritans? We're neighbors. You
4: yeah. know, here's the thing is that, you know, you see, you see somebody rob an old lady on the main strip, steal her purse, and run away with it. Are you the kind of guy who's going to make chase and take after them? Or are you the kind of guy who's just going to sit and wait for somebody to do their job? So we are those sorts of people who we get involved when we see it. Uh, it's not legal. It's not our job to go and tackle a a, a thief or a, a purse snatcher. But we will. We will for sure.
0: Why did you feel you had to take this direct action? Are like, things getting bad in Maple Ridge? Things are horrible
4: in Maple Ridge. So You know, a lot of people think that we're anti-RCMP, and the absolute opposite is there. We are advocates for the RCMP. We've stood next to the RCMP, as they've been called every Nazi name and everything else by these people. And uh, the bottom line is, is we have the most professionally trained police force in, some people would say, the world. And they're not allowed to utilize their training to serve and protect like they got into their job for. It's equivalent to me giving you two Dixie Cups and a string and saying, do your job.
0: Okay, when you were evicting this this woman from this this house, what if she had not left? Like what if you went in there and you said, "Look, we are going to film you and and put put your video on Facebook." What if she had said, "I don't care, I'm not leaving." What would you have done then?
4: Oh, well, there there would have been Here's the thing is, I can't we can't uh we don't do this for a living. We we didn't charge this lady. Um, it, it, like I said to her, if we charge we're now your employees. We're not your friends. We're not your neighbors. We're here as neighbors. We're here as volunteers. We're here to help you. Um, I don't believe that... uh, I I can't really divulge on what we would do because the best case scenario worked out. She got treatment at a top facility designed specifically for prostitutes that are addicted to drugs. Um, We made all those things happen. We had mental health there. RCMP didn't call them out. Um, We made sure that That we tried to have the most productive, um, healthy result to the whole situation. Would we have busted heads and everything else that people would like to believe? No. Our average age of our volunteers is 70 years old. 70 years old. So. You know, a lot of them are seniors that are weak in their minds, and they feel like they have no power anymore. They can't push as hard as they used to. They can't yell as hard as they used to. But let me tell you, when you get a lineup of 50 gray-haired people, they are definitely a strong uh, force to reckon with.
0: Speaking of Jamie Seep, he's the organizer of Clean Up Maple Ridge. Uh, Have you guys ever been told by the police or any other authorities, Jamie, that what you're doing is is vigilanteism or it's illegal or stop doing what you're doing? Like, what have the police told you about your activities?
4: No, the police a couple of times have asked us to pull down videos because it depicts their officers looking a little bit strange. And if you if you look at the last video, it's a prime example. They're they're stuck. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to deal with the situation because, again, it goes against all their training. They have this amazing training, but they're not allowed to impl- implement it. It's, it's just they have to, I don't know if it's Crown, I don't know if it's their bosses. I don't know exactly who it is. We're trying to dig that out and figure out why is it that the catch and release soft approach method is being used and the average citizen is paying the price for it. The average business owner is paying the price for it. And it just it seems to be lawless. Two groups of laws. Me and you cannot walk down Main Street with an open beer in our hand, but we can step over people with needles hanging out of their arms, and that's perfectly fine. You know, like, I don't understand why we have to be held to laws, but but the the addicted on our street causing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage every single year are given a free pass.
0: When when you move these these people along, as you say, like if you see there are drug users on the streets, they're leaving hypodermic needles lying around and i i understand that's certainly hazardous situation when you move them along where do they go
4: well we always try to get them into some first comment is are you ready are you ready for treatment we can get you into somewhere Do you need a place to stay but a lot of these people have history so uh um the ubc put out a a report that uh, a huge percentage of our homeless population is migrating from east they're coming this way because we offer free homes we offer free this is free drugs free everything it's a free-for-all in bc come and so even other communities uh, are putting their people onto buses to come here for treatment and so what happens is when they fail treatment They are now your community's responsibility. And uh, so when we relocate people, everyone's having a real hard time with this. They're thinking we're jamming them into trunks and taking them out of town. That is never and would never happen. It is quite literally, they're in a pinch point. They don't know what to do. Their situation is messed up and they want to go home where their network of family and friends are. And we will make that happen.
0: Well, okay, last question for you, Jamie. What do you say to your critics who say that you guys are, are vigilantes, that that these people who are drug addicts that you're targeting in many cases are, are people who are sick and that you're harassing them? How do you respond to that? Thank
4: you for doing your part for that the homeless uh, drug addicted population thank you because we need that i guarantee you that our group would be doing that if so many ministries and so many people didn't already have their back what the problem is is our average citizen has nobody covering their back and so here we are
0: interesting jamie thank you for coming on thank you All right. Welcome back to the show. You just heard my interview there with Jamie Seep. He is the organizer of Clean Up Maple Ridge. Wow. This organization getting a lot of attention here in B.C. in the last few days, especially after they posted that video of them rousting out uh, an unwanted, an unwanted occupant of a home in Maple Ridge. Okay, let's get the other side of it now with my guest, Chris Bosley. She's, uh, She's a local homeless advocate. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on.
2: Thank you for inviting me, Mike.
0: I, I appreciate it a lot. What do you think of this group, Clean Up Maple Ridge, and their tactics?
2: Um, I First of all, I want to say that the video that Clean Up Maple Ridge posted recently is not at all reflective of the, uh, the other activities that they engage in. Um, basically, when they got started, they... Uh, Took it upon themselves to do the job of what bylaws or even, you know, local RCMP would do. They would go out, they would, uh, search, uh, in the bushes and various parks, uh, in the community and basically, uh, uh, stalk, terrorize, and, uh, in some cases, attack people living in tents, living on the streets, people who are defenseless. Um they would if there was no one at their camp at that point in time, they would steal and destroy their belongings um, and there were even uh, cases where uh, we would read uh, posts that they would make on social media talking about going out in the dead of night with uh, uh, night vision goggles and uh, you know headlamps and that sort of thing to quote unquote clean up garbage so I don't know about you, but I think uh, if I were to go out in the community and clean up garbage, I would probably do it in the light of day.
0: Wow. Okay. When you say they were uh, have attacked people in the interview I just did with Chris Seep, there, I asked him if there's ever been any violence involved in their in their work there, and he said no. He denied there's any violence.
2: When I say attack, uh, Mike. I, I I really mean um, verbally attack uh, as I said these folks are defenseless uh, they don't they they're living in tents they don't have a door that they can lock behind them so imagine that you're uh, you know out in the bush no one around uh, you've set up a tent you're trying to stay out of people's way uh, you're not trying to cause any problem in the in the community, uh, you're just trying to live your life, and to have this group of people come upon you and start yelling at you and uh, you know uh, shaming you uh, for the situation that you found yourself in, um, I think that would be likely to to scare you and uh, probably uh, make you uh, leave the leave the area. Uh, allowing them to come in and, as I said, uh, destroy and and discard their belongings.
0: Chris, we're we're watching Which, the situ we're watching the situation closely. I'm sadly we're out of time, but I, I'd like I'd love to have you back and we can talk more about this because I think it's an important issue. Thank you for coming on today, though.
2: Thank you, Mike. I'd love to come
0: back. All right, welcome back to the show. Just two days to go in the BC election campaign. Let's talk about one of the key issues in this campaign. That's the future of BC's public auto insurer, ICBC. Should ICBC's auto insurance monopoly be broken up? Is it time to break up the party for ICBC? Allow private insurance companies to get a piece of the action. Now, that's an election promise from the BC Liberals. We're going to dig a little deeper into this now. How exactly would this work, and would it really result in cheaper auto insurance for BC drivers? Now, have a listen to this now. This is Global News reporter Richard Zussman talking yesterday to BC Liberal leader, Andrew Wilkinson, listen to the question he asked him here.
4: Can you can you guarantee people that your plan will make car insurance cheaper than the existing plan?
0: Okay, pretty straight up question there. If you do this, if you break up the ICBC monopoly, let private companies compete, does that mean British Columbians get cheaper car insurance? Now here's the answer from the Liberal leader. In terms of
3: ICBC, we can do way better than the current situation where young people face bills going from $5,000 to $7,000. That's totally unacceptable. So we've said it's time to guarantee two years good driving credit to new drivers, four years if they've taken driver's ed, because we cannot have young people working in service jobs who can't afford auto insurance.
0: Okay. Uh, not, didn't really totally answer the question there if people are going to get cheaper auto insurance certainly reaching out to young drivers and i've heard from a lot of them in bc over the last several months about the shock that they have received in getting their icbc bill okay let's talk about this idea now breaking up the icbc monopoly my guest is aaron sutherland vice president the insurance bureau of canada they represent private insurance companies in the country aaron thanks for coming on once again
5: always happy to be here
0: Okay, let's talk about this idea of what the Liberals would do here if they form government, which looks like a bit of a long shot on Saturday, but you never know. Uh, What is your understanding of what a Liberal government would do with regard to auto insurance in B.C.? And do you think it would lead to cheaper rates for British Columbian drivers?
5: Yeah, well, I'd start with, under ICBC's monopoly, we pay more for car insurance than anyone else in this country, on average. Uh, But the other thing is, and what I understand of the Liberals' proposal is, you know, they're not saying they're getting rid of ICBC. They're not saying they're getting rid of no-fault. And so under their proposal, you would still have all the savings that would accrue to ICBC and accrue to drivers from the switch to no-fault. Uh, but no-fault is really just referring to the accident benefits, the insurance you need to recover physically from your injuries. Think physio, Cairo wage loss, etc. But the other portion of your car insurance pays for repairing your car and the liberals have said that would be open to competition and so and that's really how it's done in quebec and in quebec they pay hundreds and hundreds of less than we do here in bc and hundreds less than, than icbc says their insurance will cost but the easiest way you can break it down is either you believe that despite all the evidence icbc is the most effective car insurance company that's ever been created in which case nothing would change. <laughs> or it's not, and people will start saving money. And I think that's a choice they should have. That's a choice liberals are offering to the driving public. Uh, and if nothing else, if you like ICBC, you'd be able to stick with them. If not, you'd be able to shop around and save. That sounds like a pretty uh, pragmatic approach to me.
0: Okay, when you say that we have the highest insurance rates in Canada here in British Columbia under ICBC. That, of course, would be disputed by the government, disputed by ICBC. They've got their own statistics, their own studies to say that actually there are lots of other provinces that have private insurance where the cost of insurance is higher than British Columbia with public auto insurance. I think it. I don't know, it's one of the frustrating parts of this of this debate for the public who are they supposed to believe but can you can you make the case like what is your evidence that we we pay the highest
5: yeah i appreciate you bringing that up because people often say no that's not true and they point to one-offs or they don't have any actual evidence they just say it and you know expect everyone to believe them when i say british Columbians pay the most on average than anyone else in this country how you how i calculate that is I add up all the money drivers are spending on car insurance, and I divide it by the number of drivers. Just like we all learned in grade school, that's how you calculate an average. When you do that in B.C., the average price, $1,900. When you do that next door in Alberta, it's about $1,400. Ontario, it's the second highest at about $1,500. Uh, but everywhere else, far, far lower than what we're paying here. And so that that you know that, that's where it comes down to. But again, I'm not suggesting, I don't hear anyone suggesting, we get rid of ICBC.
6: I'm simply saying
5: drivers deserve a choice, you know, get rid of their monopoly. And if ICBC is as good as they say they are, if it's as low cost as they say they are, which hasn't been my experience, I doubt it's been yours, Mike. I've only seen rate increases in recent years. But if they're as good as they say they are, nothing will change. But if not, drivers could shop around, start saving money. And again, that's what this is all about. Putting drivers first, stop focusing on ICBC and the needs of its monopoly and start focusing on British Columbia.
0: Okay, ICBC it is kind of an interesting setup that we have here in British Columbia because they're not only responsible for delivering auto insurance in the province, but they also do things like driver licensing and driver ID services and road safety programs at ICBC. So is there an argument that because their mandate is is wider, they have these other responsibilities that other private insurance companies elsewhere in Canada are not responsible for, that it would make sense that maybe their premiums be a bit a bit higher because they, they have to do more stuff for, on behalf of the people of B.C.
5: Yeah, but, you know, again, this is what happens once government owns a monopoly. They start to tinker with it, and they all do all kinds of odd things. And so you're right. ICBC does do driver's licensing uh, and a few other pieces, road safety, um, that private insurers don't do. But ICBC right. also charges you, on your policy for that, and that money just goes into general revenue to the government, and then ICBC ends up footing the bill for these things. So it's a bit of a, a, you know, a bait and switch on that. I would also say that if you open up ICBC to competition, you know, ICBC's lost $3.8 billion. Other companies that would come here and compete with them would start paying corporate taxes, and you use that money to fund road safety. You use that money to fund driver's licensing. You know, like, it, it, just because ICBC has a monopoly and, you know, it's entrenched itself in all these different ways doesn't mean it's the best system. And by the, judging by the fact, the service that we're getting, you know, the cost to taxpayers ICBC is borne and the cost to drivers that we're all paying, it's pretty clear ICBC's monopoly is in desperate need of a rethink. No fault doesn't solve that. No fault simply cuts off your rights and your ability to sue if you're not getting the benefits you need to recover. Why are we so beholden to ICBC's monopoly? Why don't we start looking around across the country, across North America, and seeing if other companies can come here, compete with ICBC, and save us all a little bit of money?
0: Let me put to you, Aaron, I'm speaking to Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada. He represents the private auto insurers. Let me put this to you, and I guess this is maybe the one of the most common uh, complaints or arguments against the liberal promise here to break up the monopoly and bring in private sector competition. The people who support ICBC, and you and I have talked about this before, they will make the argument that if you do that, ICBC will simply be the insurer of last resort. They will get stuck with the worst drivers, the riskiest drivers, the drivers who are more more p- problematic and tend to get into accidents. The private companies, you guys will just cream off the sort of the the eat the lowest risk drivers, the little old ladies driving to church on Sunday, kind of the classic stereotype. But the higher risk drivers, you would refuse to insure, and they would get stuck at ICBC. How do you get around that? Yeah, well, one I would say, don't let them come in that way. That that's that makes no sense
5: at all. What I would suggest is you bring in competition to BC's car insurance market. Just like it works in every other province where it exists, which is by and far most of them, and you say that if you're going to come here and sell car insurance, you have to sell it to everyone by law, and they're heavily regulated. And what that means is, if if you come in and you take up, 10, you know, ten percent of drivers move to a new company, that company by law has to insure ten percent of the high risk drivers out there. And that's how you create a level playing field between ICBC and every other car insurance company. It makes sure everyone can get insurance. It makes sure there's no insurer of last resort because everyone is sharing uh, the challenge posed by high-risk drivers. And government in that system still controls rates, whether it's a government monopoly or a competitive system. Government always sets what the highest rates can be for high-risk drivers. Uh, There are ways you can protect people while still giving them the benefits of choice and competition, I wouldn't be saying we should let other companies come in here and cream the best drivers and save only those folks money. I'm saying let them come in here and compete for everyone and insure everyone in this
0: province. All right, welcome back. As we continue talking about ICBC, lots of phone calls. My guest is Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada. Let's go right to your calls, Peter in Surrey. Hey, Peter.
4: Hey guys, good afternoon. Great topic. Um, I encourage, very much encourage competition. I mean, I have fleet insurance with my business, I have a house, I have, I have cars at home, I have a motorcycle. I do my private insurance uh, with my motorcycle, I do that privately. The rest of do
6: ICBC, I would probably stay with ICBC, I really would, but I don't know why they're so afraid of competition. The one thing about ICBC is their service is actually excellent. You know, I have a broken windshield, uh, no problem. I phone in, I have an insurance guy that comes to my office
4: and gives me all my insurance papers. I think you pay what's good, and I think they're great. But I still don't understand
3: why they're so scared of competition. I think it's great. Chances well, of me switching, probably one in five, but I still want competition out there.
0: Okay, Peter, thanks for the call. Well, I think they're probably scared about giving up their the business that they've got a monopoly lock on right now and probably being forced to... Who knows, maybe lay off some of their staff. Um, This is they got thousands of uh, uh, workers and employees over there, all of them unionized. And uh, this uh, NDP government is never going to break up that monopoly. But I don't know what your thoughts Aaron. why wouldn't ICBC want to open up to competition? Why do you think?
5: Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head that they've got a monopoly. Monopolies tend to want to keep keep themselves going. Uh, and, you know, you pointed out the union ICBC employs twice as many employees as any other insurance company their size in this country. And if they start to lose market share, that would be a real threat uh, to those sure. folks. And, you know, that's understandable as to why, you know, they don't want to see it go. But that's working in ICBC's interest. That's not focusing on the best interests of drivers. And yeah,
0: no, you can under I can certainly understand why they would want to keep the status quo. Dan in Kelowna. Hi, Dan.
6: Good topic. I, I agree with the with the last guy, and like him, I would benefit from private because I've got uh, seven motorcycles and four cars, and I'm one of those specialist guys that private insurers can really benefit. Uh, but you know, I'd like to bring up something that kind of as a, as a motorcycle safety uh, enthusiast as well. One of the big problems I got with ICBC is actually the service level they provide. I think is incredibly low um, to the taxpayer because. The tie-in that you and your guest referenced with regards to the cost affiliated with ICBC operating non-insurance operations like licensing and road safety, yeah. uh, we don't get a huge benefit from that because, you know, the, the the statistics that they provide government with are incredibly delayed. They only released the 2019 crash data in July of 2020. Uh, we're seeing more and more people getting injured and killed on the roads, uh, motorcyclists. We had a 100% increase in fatalities in 2018. Um, and it's a massive repository of information and data that should be available for British Columbia legislators to make our roads safer. I mean, we should have the safest road okay. in the world with, with the data that ICBC should have from crashes and whatnot.
0: Okay, Dan. Uh, and I think
6: I'd like to see thank that you. better.
0: Thanks for the call. Aaron, your thoughts?
5: Yeah, you know, the challenge with ICBC is that they are uh, incredibly secretive with their data. And one reason they do that is because in the optional market, it prevents other companies from keep competing with them because other companies don't have the information they need on where claims are happening what the scale and quantum of those claims are, you know what kind of drivers are causing them, and so they just they're basically flying blind. And as your caller points out, because ICBC holds that information to itself, uh, we're not able to use it for road safety and for improving things overall. But it also prevents other companies from competing with them, where they're technically open to competition in the optional market. And again, it's just another way ICBC right. uses its monopoly to keep growing itself at your expense.
0: Alex calling from New West. Hi
3: thanks for taking my call sure yeah I severely got screwed by CBC eight years ago so I'm totally in favor of seeing them go by the wayside um, I had traumatic brain injury and a broken back went for four different assessments Lawyers said we're asking for over a million dollars never even came close not even in the same postal code I need chiropractor treatment and physiotherapy and I can't afford it so I spend my day in pain
0: Wow man I'm sorry for I'm sorry for your troubles Alex uh, yeah, that is that is a tough one for sure. I'll tell you what, uh, no fault insurance—that's going to be a big issue going forward here too for people who are seriously injured in crashes. I hope I I I feel for you, Alex. Thank you for that call, David and Chilliwack. Let's squeeze in one more. Hey, David. Hey, all right, go ahead. We got a minute.
5: Hey, I, okay. <clears throat> so I just wanted to make a comment that I made about uh, the cost of insurance. Yeah. So we did com- we did comparisons. I have family: B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Quebec. Quebec has the best insurance in Canada. They are the cheapest and lowest, followed by Man by Manitoba.
6: But if you compare policy item to policy item, like glass, comprehensive, all that stuff, my vehicle, is exactly the same. Son, my my son drives in Alberta, exact same year. It is two
5: and a half times the cost of ICBC because private insurance it will not cover that.
0: Okay, 30 I, seconds left, Aaron. He says ICBC is cheaper. Your thoughts?
5: Um, well, you know, if we had competition, he could stick with ICBC. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but okay. if they're not, then you could shop around and save. That's what this is all about. I'm, I'm not uh, going to say that in every case, ICBC will always be more expensive. People who okay. stick with it, if we had choice, might save. But overwhelmingly, I think most people would um, save by going somewhere else. And, and I think that's the choice that best deserves. deserve.
0: Thanks for coming on.
5: Thanks so much for having me.